My aim, as I said last week, with these two psalms was for us to praise God more in light of these psalms. Uh, And so that's, again, my simple aim for this morning with this particular psalm. Let me pray uh, that in light of what God says to us, we might do just that. Let me pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we know that you are worthy of all praise. We know that you are the good creator who made us and made everything and gave us life and breath and everything else. And we pray this morning that as we hear you speak to us through this psalm, that we might praise you even more because of what you have won for us in Jesus, your son. And this we pray in his name. Amen. Well, our our psalm for today, Psalm 32, has a bit of a special place in my heart. Uh, For one, it's it's a great psalm. Uh, I hope you notice that even as Yvonne read it and and as we'll see as we think about it more. But for two, it's, it's the first psalm I preached here at Snack. Uh, believe it or not, in January 2013. So, so 10 years ago, January 10 years ago, I preached this psalm. So it's a bit of a special one for me. And it's particularly memorable because uh, in it, when I preached on this 10 years ago, I shared a story uh, which some of you might remember and uh, others of you may have heard snippets of this story uh, over, the year, uh, over the years. But it's a story from my primary school days. And in those days, I had a bit of a habit of stealing things. Uh, and generally, I was, I was pretty good at it, uh, which didn't help. But when I was in the third grade, I was sitting in a class, in my classroom with my peers, and we were enjoying a math game. And uh, for this math game, the teacher borrowed another student's uh, watch to time us as we played this math game. And uh, this is where the story might become a bit familiar to you, because the watch that the teacher had borrowed was a Casio calculator watch. And uh, if you've been here for a number of years, you know I had an obsession with those as a kid. Uh, I covered them, I coveted them as a kid. And uh, we're playing this game at the very end of the, the school day, and the teacher was timing us for this game. And uh, after the bell rang, the teacher placed the watch on the seat at the front of the classroom on her seat. And uh, as she did that, my mind started to de- devise this plan of how I might make that watch my own. So what I did in my youthful sinfulness is uh, I packed everything up into my school bag and packed everything up except my pencil case and I unzipped my pencil case all the way open on purpose and I walked towards the front of the classroom where the teacher's seat was and I pretended to drop my pencil case on the floor with the pencil scattering all over the floor right next to the chair and then I got down on my knees And I slowly picked up the pencils and put them into the pencil case and then quickly snatched the watch from the seat and put it in my pencil case, zipped it up, put it in my bag, walked out the room and no one saw me. And uh, I got away with it and no one knew I did it. And when I told that story 10 years ago, I think everybody at morning tea as I spoke to them were were holding onto their watches, you know, (laughs) just in case. Old habits die hard. Uh, But that's not the end of the story, because what I did in all my eight-year-old wisdom at the time is I wore that exact same watch to school the very next day. And you can imagine what happened, right? The kid who owned the watch saw it on my wrist. His watch was missing, and he saw the exact same one on my wrist. Uh, But I wouldn't confess. I wouldn't tell the truth that I took it. I insisted it was mine. I said it to my teacher. Uh, I said it to the principal. Uh, I even had some dirt on my older sister, so she lied for me to the principal saying that it was my watch. Uh, If ever you want to be convinced that humans are are born sinful, let me tell you more about my childhood. Uh, But I didn't want to confess. I didn't want to say that I stole the watch because I knew that if I did, I would be in so much trouble. Uh, Not only from uh, the school, but also 
from my parents. And, you know, this was the days before politically correct parenting. I would have been in big trouble. But, uh, alas, as much as I refused to confess, it was very obvious. The watch had scratches on it. He knew it was his. And uh, I got in very big trouble. And I tell you that story because we can all be like that. Perhaps not to my kind of youthful childhood extreme, I know. But all of us in small ways, in big ways, we fail to confess our wrongdoing. We don't want to own up to it when we've done the wrong thing. We keep silent because we fear the consequences. And it's, it's, it's a natural human feeling in many ways. We fear the consequences. We know from experience, when you confess, punishment follows. It's why, you know, miraculously, when I ask each of my four kids, who stole that last biscuit? All four kids say, it wasn't me. You know, all of them remain silent. Uh, they obviously take after their mother, of course. But, uh, but we remain silent. Why? Because we fear the consequence. But that's why Psalm 32 is such a beautiful psalm. Because this psalm teaches us that when the one confesses to God of their sin, what happens is blessing, is joy, is forgiveness. So with that uh, self-incriminating introduction, uh, let's look at this wonderful psalm together. Please have Psalm 32 there in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, please stick your hand up and then Luke will bring one to you. Uh, make sure you've got your Bible there. Though, um, Quentin, can I get you just to pass me my water bottle? I've been a little bit crook early this week. I'm all good now. Um, don't worry, it wasn't COVID. Uh, but if I have some water, that's why, because my throat's a bit funny. So Psalm 32, make sure you've got it there. And uh, like last week, we don't know exactly when David wrote this psalm. So it's written by King David, it tells us at the top. Uh, But we don't know exactly when he wrote it. We don't quite know what event took place that caused him to write it. But in this psalm, David is reflecting on the time when he was silent before God. And that's point one in your outline, David's silence. So you look at me from verse 3 of the psalm. And make sure you've got your Bible there again. Uh, You'll need it. Psalm 32, look from verse 3. David writes, When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. And we know from the rest of the psalm that David was silent before God about his sin. Uh, And he was silent as someone who belonged to God. So this is someone who is a follower of God, who's being silent before God. It's not a picture of someone who doesn't know God, but of a follower. And at this point, they're silent. And again, we don't exactly know the sin David had in mind. Uh, Traditionally, people think that David, he's talking about his adultery with Bathsheba. So if you remember that story from uh, the Old Testament, uh, and then that sin caused another sin where then he murdered Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. But it could just as well be some ongoing sin in David's life, a mode of living that he knew was not very godlike, but he nevertheless wanted to live that way, and so he was silent before God about his sin. But notice what the silence meant for David. Look again at verse 3 and 4. Because of his silence, his bones became brittle from his groaning, and God's hand was heavy upon him, and his strength was drained. And so his silence brought misery. It brought anguish. And we're not, we're not told exactly what that looked like for David. It could have meant some sort of physical illness or anguish. 
Uh, it could have been the, the mental weight of guilt that he felt from, from his sin. But either way, his silence brought him nothing but misery. And worse, it brought the hand of God against him. And that's the first thing we need to learn from this psalm. To be silent before God is foolish. And it's foolish for two reasons. For one, it's like Adam before God in the garden. I mean, just think about Adam for a moment in the garden. See, he, he knew that God was the creator of all things, that he made him and made the whole world. Yeah, he, he'd seen God create Eve from the side of his rib. And after Adam had sinned, after Eve ate, after Adam ate, what did Adam and Eve in all their wisdom do? They, they knew they were in trouble. They knew they did the wrong thing. So what did they do? They, they hid. I mean, just imagine it. Hey, hey, Eve, I've got this great idea. I know we've done the wrong thing, but surely the, the all-powerful, all-seeing, all-knowing creator of all things will never find us hiding in his garden that he's made. I've got an idea. Let's go hide. It's foolish. It's, it's the child that says to the parent, no, I didn't take that last bit of chocolate, but then they've got chocolate all over their face. And we can laugh and mock at the way that Adam behaved and the way that child behaves, but that is what we do when we're silent before God. Silent about our sin. God knows. He sees it all. It's foolish to be silent before God. And for two, it's foolish because, when, because then the guilt and therefore the judgment of God stays with us. I do think that the groaning and anguish that David speaks about in, in verses 3 and 4 is the misery that comes from his guilt in being silent. And can't we all relate to that? You know that, that thing that we did or the thing that we said and that trouble that it then caused and yet no one really knows the part we played in it but we know and so we, we feel the guilt and it niggles away at us to that point where, where you feel physically sick from you know, this sin that you've done and all the trouble it's caused. And in this psalm, the guilt of that sin is against God. You see, to be silent before God is foolish. So let me ask, how are we going at confessing our sins to God? How are we going at confessing all of our sins to God? Because he knows it all. We can't hide it. Have you been silent? Have you been hiding foolishly? And if you have, why? See, sometimes it's because we love that temptation or that desire too much. And so we, we don't want to bring it to God in confession because we love it so much. We, we, we love it and, and so we try to hide it from God and we kind of compartmentalize it away from God thinking that somehow that part of our life God won't find out about, won't know about. Or maybe, maybe you're afraid to confess to God, fearing what might happen because our experience tells us when you confess, there's punishment. Or perhaps you're silent because you don't believe your sin is actually all that bad. Which sadly is the majority of our world. You see, one of the greatest tricks the devil plays is making our world believe that sin doesn't matter. That, that living in a way that isn't pleasing to God, it doesn't matter. But this psalm teaches us that those ways of thinking are simply foolish. Not only because God is the all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful God whose hand is heavy upon that silent sinner but because he's the all-forgiving God. See, look at what David does next in the psalm, and this is point two now, David's acknowledgement. 
Have a look from verse 5. So in the midst of his groaning and under that heavy hand of God, David writes, verse 5, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you took away the guilt of my sin. You see, we really must marvel at how incredible that is. I think it's easy for it to kind of wash over us and go, oh, yes, sin's forgiven, great, lovely. Just, we need to marvel at this. Well, whatever it is that David has done, whatever it is, that is that's kept him up at nights, you know, rolling around because he can't fall asleep because the guilt is heavy on him. Whatever's filled him with so much guilt that it seems he's physically affected by the thing that he's done. Could be that thing with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband. Yet the moment he confesses, God takes away the guilt of his sin. And isn't that just backwards? That's backwards to how our world usually works because confession brings judgment. See, when I acknowledged my sin and did not conceal the fact that I stole that poor kid's watch, I got busted. Punishment was the result. But here in the psalm, confession brings forgiveness. We must marvel at that. You can see why David says what he says back in verse 1 and 2. Just look back at verse 1 and 2. Where did he start his psalm? Verse 1, he said, How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is the man the Lord does not charge with sin. You see, if we don't marvel, it's because we don't understand that what David deserved was punishment. And that what we deserve by nature is punishment. If we don't marvel, it's because we don't grasp that God is pleased when we acknowledge our sin to him. No matter how, how wretched it might be or how fickle it might be. No matter that the darkest of secret that you've kept in your heart and you've told it to absolutely no one. Or that, that sort of word said in haste that was just you know a bit unhelpful. See, God is pleased when we bring those things to him. You can tell that David marveled because what he does next is he invites us to be like him. Look at verse 6. So coming, having come to his senses, having acknowledged his sin, David now says, verse 6, Therefore let everyone who is faithful pray to you at a time that you may be found. In other words, given that God is the God who forgives and covers sins and does not charge with sin, pray to him. Speak to him. See, now is the time of forgiveness. Now is the time to seek God in your sin. You've seen the alternative in this psalm. The alternative is keeping silence. And what does silence bring? Misery, guilt, heavy upon you. The judging hand of God upon you all the time. And so the point in this psalm is simple, right? Acknowledge your sin. Pray to God. Tell him with the affection of a child to their mother all the grievances, all the worries, all the wrongdoings that are in your heart and find forgiveness, find joy. And look at the blessings that come as those faithful pray and confess to God. This is point three now. And we can't look at this in detail, but look at verse six and seven. So what does verse six and seven say? The faithful are assured of refuge. And protection and deliverance. And verse 8, the faithful who pray and don't remain silent, well, God promises he will instruct them on the way to go. 
He will counsel them away from sin and the path of righteousness to help them live in a way that, that brings blessing and pleases God. And verse 10, as the one who trusts in the Lord, well, verse 10, the Lord will have faithful love surrounding that person. You see, it really is a, a no-brainer, this psalm. David is, is putting before us these two ways of living before God. There is the way of silence with its misery and guilt and the heavy hand of God's judgment, and in the way of confession with its joy and forgiveness and promise of blessing. And so I want to finish with some reflections for us today. And my main question to us is this. Do we share David's joy in this psalm? Because that, that, that's the main thing this psalm is teaching us, isn't it? It's, it's teaching us the joy of forgiveness. Just the, 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 the smile that that should put on our face. The warmth that should give us when we understand the forgiveness that's been won for us. And so do we share David's joy? If you're anything like me, I think your answer would be sometimes. Uh, a little. Maybe not as much as, as I should. Or maybe for you, the answer is a resounding yes. And if so, praise God. Keep finding joy constantly in his forgiveness. Or your answer could be a cold no. But if you read this psalm, you can't miss David's joy. And why is he so joyous? We've got to ask those sort of questions. Why is it that he's so joyous at this forgiveness? Well, it's because he knew what it meant to be unforgiven. And I think this is where we need to start if we're to begin to understand this psalm. Do we know what it means to be unforgiven before God? Uh, I carried out a dangerous exercise as I wrote this sermon during the week. Uh, as I was writing, I spent about 10 minutes, only 10 minutes, thinking, about, uh, thinking through the ways in which just this week alone, I've failed to love God with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, and failed to love others as I should. Uh, I thought about those moments of selfishness that I've had through the week. Uh, the times I yelled at the kids a little too easily, which uh, is exponential as it gets closer to the end of the school holidays, and it's week five or six of them being together. Uh, I, I thought of the unkind words I spoke, let alone thought, my laziness in not being the, the sacrificial husband I should be, uh, the moments of complaint which I didn't really have a right to complain about, the lack of times I thank God for his goodness to me, the, the prayers that went unprayed, the, the praise that went unsung, the coveting of my eyes, the lusting of my heart, my greed in the things that God has given me, the grumpy moments, the angry moments, the frustrated moments. And with many of those things, it's not just one moment, it's many moments. And all that just one week. And all that just spending 10 minutes reflecting on that week. Imagine if I spent an hour reflecting on my week. And as I think of those moments, and as I think of how God created me to love him and love others, the only conclusion I could come to is, what a wretched man I am. Now, what, what an expert sinner I am. And with all confidence, I can say that if you too spent 10 minutes thinking through your week this week and listing down those things that you have done which you ought not to have done, and those things that you should have done that you did not do, well, you too would only conclude how wretched I am. And then imagine a lifetime worth of our sin. 
See, no wonder when, when Jesus tells the parable of the debtors in Matthew 18, he describes the debt owed as hundreds of thousands of years of labor. In other words, it's an unpayable debt that has been built up. You see, to be unforgiven before God is to bear the guilt of all our sin. To, to be unforgiven before God is to face that eternal punishment for all our sin. It's to have God's heavy hand upon you. That's what it is to be unforgiven. That's what it is to be silent before God in your sin and be unforgiven. You see, the thought of that should be unbearable to us. And it should be even more unbearable when we remember we're powerless to do anything about that debt of sin that we've built up. Did you think of David? If, if, this psalm, if in this psalm David is reflecting on his adultery with Bathsheba, and reflecting on the murder he committed. He, he, he's powerless to do anything about those things. He can't undo adultery. He's done it. There was a child that was born. He, he can't undo the, the, the murder of Uriah. He can't raise Uriah back from the dead. David was powerless to do those things. And he was liable. And he was deserving of death. And yet, when he ceased his silence, and as he came to God in confession and sought God's forgiveness for that sin, for his sin, God forgave him. And that's why David was so joyous, because he, he knew he deserved none of that. He was a guilty sinner. He, he knew that the punishment he deserved what, was what he deserved. He was joyous because he was spared. And he was joyous because that relationship between him and God that was broken because he was silent to God and ignoring God had been restored. That's why he was joyous. And while David didn't know it at the time, all his sins were forgiven. All his sins were paid for in full because of Jesus. Because God, a thousand years into the future, would send his son Jesus to deal with David's sin so that he might be forgiven. You see, it's only as we remember what it means to be unforgiven and the debt of our sin, facing God's just punishment for our sin, that then we can begin to understand why this psalm is such a joyous psalm and why forgiveness is so joyous. See, all those moments of selfishness, all those unkind words, all those moments of coveting and lust and, and, and prayerlessness and praiselessness and thankful, thanklessness to God... Jesus died to forgive you of those things. So many sins, such an unpayable debt, such a hopeless situation, paid for in full by Jesus. It's how joyous. Relationship restored with the Creator God, who is our Father now. Do you see, why would you remain silent when you can come in earnest confession to the God who's pleased to listen and pleased to forgive you no matter what you've done? Come to him earnestly. And he forgives you justly. He can forgive you because Jesus died for that sin. It's just for God to forgive because of Jesus. See, the old hymn writers, they got this so right when they penned their hymns. Uh, you know, one of the most famous hymns of all, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Isn't it, is, I think it's quite bizarre that, that that hymn is one of the most famous songs of all time. And lots of people around the world sing that song. I wonder if they understand what they're singing. I'm a wretch is what they're singing. And how great is God because he saved a wretch like me. 
or another one of our hymns. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. And in that great old uh, Charles Wesley hymn, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? Died he for me, who caused his pain, he's on the cross because of us, for me who him to death pursued, amazing love. How, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? So do you see, when, when, we, when we think of all that God has done in Jesus, his son, and forgiven us because of him, how can we not sing along with David in this psalm? How can we not sing how joyful is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered? How joyful is the man the Lord does not charge with sin? How joyous. Let me pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we do ask that you might help us to come to grips with just how joyful forgiveness truly is. We pray that you help us to come to grips with just how sinful our hearts and humanity truly is. And we thank you for all that you've done in Jesus, your son, to bring us to yourself. And we pray, Lord, that we would not be silent before you. That whatever it is, those sins that are in our lives, those things that we know that we should not have done, that we would bring them to you. That we would confess to you. And that we would praise and thank you that you are pleased to forgive us in Jesus, your son. In his name we pray. Amen.